Thanks, Anne. I think I need to move this back a bit so I can... There we go. Um, pull out your Bibles, and uh, if you've got a device, pull out your device, because we're going to need it. Uh, we're going to do... It's been a while since we've done a Mentimeter, and uh, we're going to start off by doing a Mentimeter. I want to talk this morning uh, and hopefully get a glimpse of just how revolutionary uh, Jesus actually was. Let's start by talking about our society. In our society, we value people differently. Don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, some people get valued more than others, uh, sadly. And the criteria on which they get valued can sometimes be a bit wacky, to say the least. But we want to start by asking the question, who, who are the people in our society that are valued the most? Who are the people in our society that are valued the most? Currently, you know, flash up a slide there. And if you've got a device, I invite you to uh, point your camera at the QR code and that will let you uh, answer this question. And if you don't have a camera on your device, you can go to mentimeter.com. This is true if you're at home too. Uh, or, and, and actually, if, even if you're watching this after the event, you can still uh, participate in this for the next 24 hours. What we'd love to hear, we, we don't, we, as much as possible, we want to we be talking about reality. We want to work out, okay, how does Jesus' words impact our actual lives, our actual community? So in our actual community, in our actual society, who are the people who are valued in our society the most? We want to get your answers and uh, we're going to give you just a, feel free to chat to the people around you, particularly if there are people around you who don't have a device. Can you chat to them and get their answers and chuck them on for them? Uh, and let's see how many answers. Okay, Corinne, let's chuck up some of the answers as they pop up. We'll be forming a word cloud. So we'll see. Interestingly enough, celebrities. Uh, Mel. Uh, I, I just have a sense there may be somebody uh, related to Mel who may be doing that. I don't know. Uh, who, who is developing a habit of having input. <laughs> Mel is absolutely valued in our society. <laughs> okay, let's get some more answers here. We want to see, so, so far we've had 30 people give their answers. It's interesting, uh, celebrities has come up still, sports stars... Entertainers, some emergency response people, they're, they're great. It's interesting though, in terms of, just so you know how this works with a, a word cloud, the, the words that the most people say are the ones that are the biggest. Uh, nice on Mother's Day that mothers have, are there, at least, not as much as celebrities or Mel. Um, Uh, politicians, athletes, rich people. Interesting. Okay, let's, let's give it a few more minutes. Chuck in, love, to, love you to really think about. In our society, look, think about who are the people that are really valued? Get in, let's get the answers in. Uh, so we had 36 answers, 36 different people. Uh, rich people. It, it is interesting. Like I, the rich people is getting bigger. That's interesting. Uh, highly educated mums. Okay, forty. We've had forty answers. It's great for everybody, whether you're at home or 
uh, here in the room or at Lena Valley. We'd love to get your input on this. Because it's actually important because what Jesus does is he comes and upends what's normal in terms of how people get valued. So we want to talk about that. Uh, but let's just talk... The, the society he came into was Jewish society. So uh, they had famous people, but not celebrities like we have celebrities. Like, no one's actually ever been able to explain for me why the Kardashians are famous. Like, what they actually have done to deserve that. They're famous just for being famous, which is, you know, they're the epitome of celebrities. Uh, Elon Musk is up... That's interesting, isn't it? Rich people, doctors, professionals, celebrities, athletes. Do you think... We can, we can take this off now, Karen, thanks. Do you think all these people deserve the place in our society they have? No, I don't, I don't think so either. I, I actually think what we want to look at is how Jesus values people. So if you've got your Bibles, really encourage you to pull them out. We've got the notes in the Bible app, in the YouVersion Bible app. The, the notes are there. And we're going to start by, uh, interestingly enough, a story that um, is very personal for the guy who wrote the book. This is Matthew 9, and uh, it is Matthew telling us how Jesus came to him. And again, we don't have a category of person like a tax collector was in those days. To put it into perspective, the Jewish people felt oppressed by the Romans and tax collectors were people who participated in that oppression and got rich from it. And they were, they were usually the Jewish people. And chances are Matthew actually was a Levite. He's actually really... Because uh, his, his other name is Levi. And so he's probably grown up in the tribe of Levi. He's actually a well-educated Jewish person and he's turned his back on all that to get rich on the back of the Jewish people. So can you imagine what that would be? We don't have, I can't imagine anyone in our society who would be of that status. And so let's look at Matthew 9, 9. Jesus goes on from there. He sees Matthew and he says, follow me. Most people think this probably means Jesus has been chatting to him over a period of time. It would be... It'd be unusual for the first time Matthew meets him to, I mean, you could try it if you like, go to a cafe, you know, or your supermarket and take, say to somebody, follow me and see what happens. But my guess is Jesus has been working with him for a little bit of time or has, he's, Matthew's seen him or has credibility. But what is remarkable about that, he is inviting this Roman collaborator this person that most people would have seen as evil, this person that participated in the oppression of his own relatives, Jesus is inviting him to be a disciple. He's turning the word cloud of the day, that cloud we had of our society, he's turning that upside down and picking someone who is like the lowest status person and saying, I want you. This is a theme right the way through the Bible. One of, the, one of my favourite verses is the calling of David. Uh, 1 Samuel 16 says, don't look, don't consider his appearance or his height because... 
because uh, he, he was talking to one of the guys that Samuel was looking at saying, yeah, he, he looks like he's a special kind of guy. He looks like a celebrity. Uh, but, the, but in Samuel it says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't care if you've got your TV show named after you. God doesn't care about your bank account. God looks at the heart. And there's something about Matthew's heart that meant that Jesus gave him a go. And, and Matthew, the very first thing he did, what is, what's the very first thing Matthew does after this? Yeah, he chucks a party. He, he has a party and who does he invite to the party? All the other people that don't fit. All the other people at the bottom of society. Got to understand this. Jesus didn't come to make the people currently in power and influence in our society feel comfortable. He came to upend how we determine who has influence. He comes to hang out and he hangs out with the tax collectors and sinners. We use sinners in terms of naughty people. That's what we use the word sinners to mean. In those days, at this time, the word sinners was somebody who was intentionally not following God's law. It wasn't just... So it was, a, it was a, a, uh, their relationship to the Jewish faith. It wasn't just that they were necessarily naughty or whatever. They just were not acting as good Jews, is, is what a, a sinner was. So the Pharisees come up and, and, and what, do the Pharisee, what's, what do the Pharisees do in response to this? They, they get upset and, and, and what, what's their response? What are, they, what are they doing? Yeah, they, they say, hey, come over here. Uh, this master of yours, why is he hanging around with these people? Doesn't he understand how bad they are? One of the great fears in Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith is contamination with the unclean. And, and this great fear would be, if I hang around with these people, I'm going to be unclean. Jesus doesn't seem to worry about that. And in fact, Jesus encouraged his people not to be separated out, but he calls us to be salt and light in the world. He actually encourages us to connect with people who aren't believers. And what does he say? As, as, as the disciples come back and dob on the Pharisees, what, what does Jesus say to them? I'm not here for people who think they're healthy. And right here, this is so important because we can be a bit like Pharisees sometimes. There, the reality of life is we live in attention. The reality of life is we live in attention. And the tension is that there is a beautiful part of you created in the image of God that just wants to love and be truthful and be creative, be responsible, just wants to follow Jesus, just wants to, to be true to who you are. That is genuinely who you are. But let's be honest, that's not all of who you are, is it? 
Can you be honest with the fact that there's another part of you that really just wants to feel good, get away from anything that hurts, that, you know, is just... If, if, that there, are, there, is a, there is a dark part of you that is actually part of who you are, that there are, there are, there's part of you that doesn't really want to love people, that's quite happy with everybody loving you, but, you know, there's actually part of you. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. There is a tension in the experience of humanity that we can, and there's lots of ways of trying to resolve that. And it's tempting to want to resolve it. It's tempting to want to say, if I just do this, this, this and this, then I'll be good enough and God will like me. Or the other way you can go is, ah, stuff it, I'll just do what I feel like doing. You know, there's, there's... Many isms, communism, I'll start, I can start listing all the isms, but I won't. But most isms are an attempt to, to deal with the, the, the contradiction we, we face. Most isms are an attempt to deal with the contradiction we face. And most isms define a circle and say the good people in the circle and the bad people are outside the circle. And if your kind of religion says the good people are in the circle and the bad people are outside the circle, you're not following Jesus. Because what Jesus says, he came for people who knew they were sick. The beautiful truth of our faith is this word grace. If you, if you don't, have any issues, if you are perfect in and of your own right, you actually don't need Jesus. So this is the tension that Jesus steps into and he invites us to live into. And we've got, this is where we've got to watch because we, we've got to live in the, in the self-awareness that it's not either or, that even in your worst moments, there is a beautiful part of you. And even in your best moments, there's a dangerous part of you. And the only way to survive is to keep your eyes on Jesus and know he loves you. And that there is nothing you can do to earn that love. That's what the heart of our faith is. And often we get dangerous. We get dangerous when we divide the world into good people and bad people. And this is why Jesus is so radical. Then he says something, he actually quotes the book of Hosea chapter 6. What does he say next? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. If you, you've got to learn, so you've got to go away and learn what these words mean, boys and girls. He's saying, I... I Care, God cares more about who you care about than about how much you do for him. God cares more about who you care about than how much you do for him. The word mercy in the Jewish understanding is a deep commitment to somebody else. It's also, there's this sense of loyalty 
and the sense of being able to imagine what life is like for somebody else. God doesn't want you to live a self-centred life. There is a brand of Christianity that I, in my view, you don't mind me saying this, I think is evil. Did you get that? There's a band, brand of Christianity I think is evil. Because it says it's all about you. And God is here to be your mascot and to make you feel better. There is nothing in the Bible that indicates that that is true. And in fact, the whole weight of the Bible heads in the other direction. Our faith is about Jesus. It's not about us. And the great command is to love God with all our heart and all our soul and our mind and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Not to get God as a sort of a, a, a 10 point plan to advance in life. I, I think it's, it's so important for us to stop and think who are the people we find it hardest to be merciful towards? Who are the people we find it hardest to be merciful towards? Because that whole thing of love your neighbour wasn't love these neighbours, we don't have to worry about these neighbours. In fact, Jesus gets pointed, and he says, you've got to love your enemies. Think about the, the people you find absolutely hardest and we've got to find a way to love them. And there's actually a whole lot of people who come with all kinds of convoluted theology to get around this stuff. But you can't. It's not... It's not, it's not you can't follow Jesus and, and find ways to not love people. So I wonder who are the people you find it hardest to have mercy towards? My guess is one of the groups of people I find it hardest to have mercy towards are people I perceive to be more powerful than me. Somehow it's okay for me to bag out people in, because I think that's a uniquely Australian thing. It was lovely being in Canada, being a pastor. There's this deep respect everybody had to anybody with a title and they call you a pastor and it, it felt really weird but it was lovely um, in some cultures there is a deep respect for people in authority here in Australia we have no respect for people in authority I, I kind of like that it's about your, your it's about your character here in Australia but we got to watch so I think sometimes we find it hard to be merciful to people we perceive to be in power I also think we find it hard to be merciful to people who don't mean anything to us. People, like the people who are just decorations in our life, like the checkout chicks and the, I think we, imagining what life is like for them. I also think, this is why Jesus said it specifically, I think we find it hard to be merciful to people that hurt us. So I said, Jesus comes to bring a revolution. He doesn't bring to bring comfort. And it is only possible to be the kind of merciful person Jesus is talking to if you can live in the tension of knowing the two sides of you and keep your, your eyes on him and know he loves you, despite all your stuff. Now, this is, after this party, uh, another group of people come and have a chat to, to Jesus. Who are, who are, who's the next group of people that come? John's disciples. So for those who aren't familiar, 
What, what was John doing before Jesus turned up? What was John doing? Pardon? Yeah, he was out baptising. And, and he was calling people back to be faithful followers of the Old Testament. Preparing the way for Jesus is what John was doing. He, and John, John comes and says, I, I, I am calling you back to what's important, but there's one that's coming that I'm not fit to tie the sandals of. But his followers are devout people who are saying, oh, we've got to take stuff seriously. And what do, they, what do they come to Jesus and ask him about? Hey, Jesus, um, you know, really good religious people fast and you're partying. What's going on? What's going on? What is Jesus' response? How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? Do you know what he's saying here? Important to get this. And this is where uh, you'll find in your notes, Laurie has, I'm so grateful for Laurie Rouston, the work he's done. He's put a whole booklet together of questions. On this point, he and I disagree. Uh, uh, because there's, there's different ways of interpreting what Jesus is saying, what he'll also be saying next. Uh, but one of the things to understand is there, there was, just going to say this briefly, uh, post the Second World War largely, there was a, a movement in Christianity to break apart the Bible and say, okay, which bits of these, uh, which, which verses was actually from Jesus and which wasn't. And there were people that they had this colour coding thing where they would colour code, I forget exactly what the colours were, I think it was pink and red, anyway, they, and they'd say the, 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 colour, the verses that are coded this way, you can trust, and the verses, and they, and they, and they all, all these people got together and tried to work out which verses you could trust of what Jesus was saying or not, based on their particular frameworks, and based on the idea that Christianity was a religion that was coming to supersede the Jewish religion. Did you know that the, even the idea of religion is a comparatively new invention? Did you know that? The idea of religion is a comparatively new invention. Uh, that for Hindu people, that, do you know that was a, a word invented by the Western people as they came to meet Indian people? That just didn't fit. And... and and for neither, neither Jews nor the followers of Jesus would have thought what they were doing is a, a religion that was separate to, to the whole of life, that somehow you could separate out religion and the rest of life. That's a, an invention of the Enlightenment. Anyway, all that to say, there's a, a, a version of this that sort of says uh, Jesus is uh, coming and some people would say he, he, he was a, an apocalyptic prophet, uh, but that usually means they're misreading what he's saying. And here's one of the things they're misreading. Do you know in the Old Testament, why, the fact that Jesus calls himself a bridegroom, the fact that Jesus calls himself a bridegroom, do you know what he's saying there? In the Old Testament, guess who the bridegroom is? It's Yahweh. Uh, whether you're looking at Isaiah 62, Hosea that theme of the bridegroom. So the fact that the bridegroom is here, Jesus is saying, 
two things. I am God and I am here. And while I'm here, it's not the time to fast. He will actually, he's earlier, he's taught the disciples in Matthew 6 how to fast. But he's saying, I am here and my presence here changes everything. Jesus didn't come to replace Judaism. He came to fulfil the whole Old Testament. He came to bring a new covenant. He came to be the fulfilment, not the replacement of the Old Testament. And so uh, we then see that Jesus has two metaphors, a metaphor about old genes uh, and a metaphor about wineskins. And the first thing he says, and this is where, as it's in the con, you'll see Laurie, and you can do your research, Laurie's booklet is very helpful, and, but the, the, the way he's framed this, I think, is not quite right. Because what Jesus is clearly talking about is he has brought a new covenant, a new way of relating to the God of the universe. And what that means is the old covenant isn't a container that can hold it anymore. So when he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment, making it the, the tear worse, what, what's he saying? Well, let's be honest. Religion can be a bit like an old piece of clothing. It can be comfortable. It can fit nicely. You can just, you can go, like I, I've got a pair of rug boots I've had for like three years, four years. My foot just sort of fits really comfortably in it. It just feels right. A, religion can be a bit like that. It can be a familiar, habitual way of responding. And what Jesus is saying is the familiar, habitual way of responding will not contain what I'm about. And he's come, the, the, the breadth of what Jesus is introducing won't be contained in the first century understanding of Judaism. He's come to do a new thing. He actually goes on and says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, both are preserved. The reason that new wine blows apart uh, old wineskins is that new wine is fermenting and expanding. And while it's true what Jesus is saying here is about him and the fact that this is a new covenant and everything's changed, there's also this reality that he's also pointing to that we need to understand that new things, and God is always doing a new thing, will be fizzing and growing and expanding. And if we're a bit too comfortable in our Ugg boots of religion, the next generation or young Christians will fizz and ferment and blow it apart. God is always doing a new thing and we've got to watch that we don't get so comfortable with our wineskins that we lose sight of the wine. That a, a, 
a religious approach is to focus more on the framework than the life within the framework. And so we've got to make sure that we're open and focused on the wine and not on the wine skins, that we're focused on the people and not the structures. It, I think that is also a fair interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. So he goes on and we just get these two stories of healing. The first story of healing uh, is the, the leader of a synagogue. His daughter is, has died. And he's coming and saying, please help. So the, the leader of a synagogue is someone who the society would have respected. So that is, that is a, a good person. But then there is a lady in the same story whose period hasn't stopped for 12 years. She's on the other end of the spectrum. She's about as unclean as a Jewish person could imagine. And Jesus doesn't come and define himself against the powerful person. He cares for the powerful person, but he also cares for the woman. And this is a picture of the community we're called to be. We're called to care for those in power and to care for their needs. But we're also called to care for the smallest person. And we're called not to focus so much on our structures that we lose sight of the people. We're called to be this kind of community. Jesus calls us to a revolution. A revolution that values people not as Martin Luther King said, by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. By what is going on in their hearts, not what's going on uh, in their bank accounts. This is the revolution Jesus invites us into. And this is the kind of church we want to be. We want to we be a church where we can acknowledge that we don't try and simplify stuff. So, so, so here's the six steps to be on the inside of the circle. We want to we be the kind of church where we can acknowledge we're all on a journey and we're all a bit broken and we all need grace. We don't have the answers. If you think you have the answers, you don't need Jesus. But it, we want to be the kind of church that's honest enough with both sides of us that we can actually have fellowship where there can be people who love you in your good moments and in your bad moments because together we love Jesus and we trust him. And that kind of community is a place where the rich and the poor, the old and the young, whatever race you come from, whatever background you come from, everybody's welcome. And that's, there's a little Catholic priest, Father Tom Forrest, that once got up on a stage and he, and he just said these words, and they've stayed with me ever since, at a conference I was at. He said, the miracle we are to be is the miracle of reconciliation. People are meant to look at us and go, how is that possible? How can you love each other? You, this, the society tells you who you should love. How can you possibly 
be acting like this. It's only possible through the grace of Jesus. This is the church we want to be. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge we need your help. It is tempting and and we confess that often we try and uh, pretend that there aren't two sides of us. We pretend that we are all in the club. But we acknowledge, as the Apostle Paul said, there are times where the things we want to do, we don't do. We acknowledge we're messy and that we need a doctor. We need your grace. And we want to be the kind of place that cares more about the wine than the wineskins, that cares more about the people than the structures. We want to be the kind of place that cares about the synagogue leaders and and the woman who has been suffering for 12 years. We want to be the kind of place where everybody matters. But we know it's only possible because you love us and we matter to you. Help us please, Jesus, keep our eyes on you and focus on what really matters. We ask this in your name. Amen.